Welcome to the latest edition of the Omnitalk Spotlight Series, the series that highlights the people, the companies, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And today we are turning our spotlight once again in the dynamic and interesting direction of understanding where the lines between CBG and retail are blurring in our unending quest to define what in the hell direct-to-consumers commerce actually means. So joining us today to help shed light on that question are the co-founders and one of Anne's and my favorite technology companies and one to which we just joined their advisory board, Lucky and its co-founders and recent, also I should add, recent Forbes 30 under 30 recipients, Sneh Parmar and Nafis Azad. Sneh and Nafis, welcome to OmniTalk. Welcome. Well, thanks for having us, uh, Chris and Anne. Thank you, guys. Yeah, so I got to start, like, how's it feel being named 30 under 30? Like, it makes, I got to tell you, you being named that makes me feel really old. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, assume I know how Ann feels, but it makes me feel ancient. But uh, how's that feel? I mean, that's got to be a cool award. Yeah, no, I, I think when we got it, it, ma- it made us feel like really great. I mean, it's such a great accolade to have, especially after you put years into something that you've been working on just to see the recognition. Um, I think, uh, and I'll let Nafisa answer this on his end, but I think for us, for what my perspective is, it, what it did great for us was just get us into more rooms. Like right. showed that what we were building was uh, something of value and then it helped mm-hmm. us get more customers and uh, retail partners. And I think that's probably the most value that we got out of that. And if anything, it just showed us like, hey, we have to work harder than we ever did before to like make this a reality now because now everyone right. knows. Yeah. Nice. And it's cool you guys got it together, right? That's pretty sweet too, right, Nafis? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's awesome. Honestly, I think that, you know, Sinead, I know a lot of people in that community and it's something that I think when you're a young entrepreneur, it it is a bit of an aspirational goal. Um, and there's like that time clock around it, um, which just makes it interesting. But yeah, it was awesome to get it together. I think it was really rewarding even just going through the experience of, you know, we just got in the last batch. And so meeting a lot of people together and going to certain events together, it's been really cool. Um, and honestly, like I said, it's like once you know, the, the awards past 30 under 30 as entrepreneur, they kind of scale in magnitude really quickly. So you have to work a lot harder to get past that. So I think it was, it's a cool kind of like check off the list. And, uh, I think that we relished it and now we're kind of excited for the next steps. Yeah. Well, well, you're two thirtieths of the list too, Anne. I mean, yeah. this is pretty cool. I mean, they're one fifteenth of the list on their own. That's amazing. I know. Nafis. I think the thing that when, when Chris asks how it makes me feel, it's like, man, I was definitely not doing the things that you're doing at three thirty. So, uh, I do though want to know what's the, what's the backstory. I mean, how did lucky come to be? If you can g- give us a little bit of each of your backgrounds and kind of the, the founder journey, if you will. And Nafis, maybe we start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, my background, I've always kind of been someone that's really been passionate about software. I think that, um, you know, my generation, we kind of grew up at that apex of seeing the that transition of a non-software world to like tech being everything um, and, and, you know, innovation moving really fast around us. And so that was something I was really, you know, I, I took notice of really early and when I was really young. And I really started my journey as an entrepreneur in software world in UI UX design. And so since I was like 11 or 12 years old, I taught myself UI UX and um, really practiced that for years, just on my own time and my own, you know, free time after school, I would teach myself, learn UI UX. 
with what um, youtube like, what university are, what are, YouTube. youtube university okay so you're just going youtube university yeah. oh, my you're, kids need to get working harder i man. know <laughs> i know i was like um the 12 year old at the park right now is going to be getting uh getting the talking to when he gets back about what what else he could buckling be, down what other hobbies he could be having right now but um, honestly the funny thing is for me it was like a passion it wasn't something i like yeah directly was like i'm gonna use this for my career one day i just I don't know. I just thought it was cool that I could use my computer that I, I took from my dad and create stuff on the computer. And um, I just kept learning that over time. And that's kind of my first entrepreneurial thing that I did where I started actually freelancing as a really young person and selling you know my UI, UX design expertise to the world. Um, yeah. And, and from there, though, you know, when it kind of became real for me and it kind of broke into software was when I went off to college. I went to Ohio State. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Columbus. And um, I went for computer science and I kind of quickly realized like talking to companies and things like that, that UI UX was a really important part of that process along with engineering. Um, and I already had that skill set. And so as a freshman, I started my first real business, which was a UI UX design agency. Um, and then within a year of just knocking down doors and, and, and wanting an opportunity, I actually dropped out of Ohio State to scale that company. Um, I built that company for six or seven years, and that was it became a full stack software engineering UI UX design company. And it was that process actually. I was doing work out in Atlanta, and that's actually kind of where I met Snay. Um, and so I'm you know, happy to let him tell his, you know, what got him to that point in Atlanta as well. Yeah, Snay, what I can only imagine what your answer is going to be, but maybe oh. we should start earlier. Like, what were you doing when you were 11 and 12? Yeah, right. Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, well, definitely not UX, UI. Uh, UI. I wasn't that smart. <laughs> um, uh, at that point, it's, it's interesting because, like, my background, my dad used to actually own retail stores. So, like, oh. I, I kind of had that background in retail, like, before I, I, I was like working the cash yeah. register, like, stocking shelves. Cool. Like, like I literally did that, like, what you would see, like, people at like Walmart or like these major retailers, like, doing today. Like, that's what I was doing. And, Honestly, like that just got me interested in the space. Um, uh, okay. I ended up going to college at like Georgia Tech, where uh, in Atlanta, where I grew up, and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I liked like e-commerce because at that time, that was like the rise of like Shopify, right? Like Shopify, like sure. it just became yeah. the sort of thing around 2013 became popular, and I always thought I'd be a brand founder. I like loved brands. Like I think it's so cool. I probably just wasn't creative enough, but I ended up helping my uh, DTC found friends who were like starting brands more on the marketing and logistics side because I knew that and I helped them like launch brands and I was like oh this is like really cool like, I want to like work with founders and post-college I ended up actually launching a fund uh with a mentor of mine so that was actually a great uh, great experience because like I was a first time like fund manager with a mentor of mine it's a single LP fund we invested across e-commerce machine learning and cybersecurity companies did that for a while and then uh, uh joined an agency actually where I led I was like leading consumer purchasing behavior so my background mm -hmm. is on consumer behavior and how people buy products worked with like massive brands like Coke uh and then also massive retailers like Home Depot at that time um and really just like fell into like what we do at Lucky through those experiences well and tell us a little bit more about that Sine explain for our listeners what Lucky is and how you came to, you found the need in the market and came to create it. Yeah. So like, I mean, Nafisa and I, I, were, all, I were always like really creative. And, I, and when we were like looking into like what, uh, basically what Lucky became, we were seeing like uh, brands go into retail earlier in their life cycle. And this was really like post pandemic, right? Like the pandemic like hmm. changed everything. It showed people, hey, people wanted to buy directly from the brand. That's where you can educate and learn, learn about the product in the best possible manner. But the biggest challenge consumers had was like getting the product fast and in a sustainable manner. And what we saw was like, hey, 
customers want to shop from the brand, but when they revert, they usually go to the retailer to buy the product because if they want it faster, because more likely going to be closer to them in uh, distance. And it's going to be on a shelf there anyways. So we did some digging, working with these major retailers and realized that they have all of this infrastructure in place, proxying on shelves that they want to honestly just sell out faster. So we were like, what if you could go to the brands and it connect their DC website where customers are already going to learn about the product. And then it showcase on that direct consumer website that, hey, as a consumer, now you can go get this product same day, whether it's picked up or delivered from the closest store near you. And that would create the first true omni-channel experience. Because you would have this like black box, right? Like if you, let's say I'm a brand, I get into a major retailer, like my entire uh, basic interaction with that retailer is like getting into wholesale and that's it. But I have no control over who's going to those stores. I have no idea what attribution I'm sending um, and it, how fast the products are flowing. But now with Lucky, you're able to see that. You're able to see exactly who's coming to the DDC site and then ends up going to get it from the retailer same day because they want it faster. And Sine, explain a little bit why this is important. We just we were just at a conference in uh, in uh, oh my gosh, New York, Commerce. <laughs> and I was like, where have we been? We've been to all these places, but everywhere. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting because I I attended this Gen Z panel. So it was four people from Gen Z talking about their search behaviors, mm-hmm. and what I found really interesting was that you know, when they're all talking about the latest products that they found, none of them talk about going directly to Google or to a brand's website mm-hmm. to find that. They're finding it, they're searching on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, and explain kind of where this customer journey is going now and why it's so important, kind of the 30,000 foot view of like why it's important for brands to be able to allowing what Lucky allows them to be able to do to kind of give them those options. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and you hit the nail on the head with like the Gen Zs and millennials, like the new generation of buyers. Like if you think about the journey, like you're saying TikTok, Instagram, right. Snapchat, like that's where people are getting uh, basically introduced to new brands. And right. where does it take you? It takes you directly to the brand's website because they are going to do the best job they possibly can with their content to make you educated about what their product and why you should buy it. And that's where customers want to get it from. They want to be able to have the easiest method. But what challenges these DC brands have is they don't have the distribution and density that a retailer has. And that's really where the retailer comes in, right? And these brands might be in these retail stores, but as a consumer on the DDC side, you have no idea. And let's say you even know that it's in the store, right? You might have a store locator, but you might not know if the product's actually available. You might know, let's say you want to buy more than three units of that product. You might not know if there's more than three units at that store. So you you might just go to Google or an Amazon. And then at that point, the brand loses all of that data. They lose all of that attribution that they would have gotten if they had bought via the uh, direct-to-consumer brand. Mm. So what we realized was like, if you look at both sides, right? Like if you look at a, uh, on a coin, brands are on one side and retailers on the other, and they both have their strengths. Brands are really, really good at content and marketing. And that what that does is get some net new customers coming to their site every day. And even the retailers know that brands are better at marketing their own product than a retailer is because a retailer has obviously thousands of more products to market. But on the other hand, you have retailers and what their strength is, which I was mentioning was distribution mm-hmm. and being uh, in proximity to the consumer. So if you leverage both sides, if you take, let a consumer, like I said, take the content and education from the brand, but then be able to purchase via the retailer, that creates the best experience that day. And that's what like, for us, that's what Omnichannel means. It's being able to utilize the, both the online and offline channels in a way where the consumer has a better experience when they're learning about the product, but also buying the product. Right. Yeah. I joked about in the beginning, you know, like what the heck does direct to consumer really mean? But that's what I love about what you just said, because in a way, 
the relationship between brand, the wholesale relationship between brands and a retailer has always existed. We're at a place now where we're just trying to figure out how to unlock it even more within the omni-channel space and allow them to go direct, so to speak, without actually going direct by way of the retailer and their supply chain and their logistics operations and how they're set up. So, so that's really intriguing me. So Nafis, let me, let me turn it to you based on what Sinead just said. You're the product guy here. And we've we've talked about this topic a lot around or peppered the edges around this topic a lot. And then I have in the past. What for you, what is different, though, about what you've created as a product, say, relative to some of the other competitors in this space? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that the the biggest thing for us that we've noticed, and it's it's been a the challenge that we kind of undertook when we went up to build this company, is working with the retailer directly. Right when we look at these amazing retailers in the market, they are innovating and they want a share of this traffic on the GDCs that we're talking about. Um, but they really have you know more kind of you know firepower internally around merchandising and things like that. And they really need a third party like us to come in and connect the dots, right? And I think a lot of competitors in the market, um, they kind of circumnavigate the retailer and they say, hey, as a brand, uh, you can go to a brand and I can show to your customers, here's your stores and store locator, or I could make an educated guess around availability. Um, but what they're not doing is working hand in hand with the retailer. And the ceiling basically is completely lifted in terms of growth opportunity and building that omni-channel relationship with the model that we have. So we actually work directly with the retailers they're working with. When we go to the retailers, we have the most accurate, most live and dynamic set of data that's flowing in around inventory and distribution that we're feeding back to customers. So customers are really seeing the same set of inventory data that the retailer is presenting to them. And that is you know, a dynamic difference from customer experience. You know? But when I actually think about long-term growth of how we can actually impact the brand retail and the omnichannel relationship, because we're actually working with the retailer in that equation, we can help the brand do a lot more things with the retailer, such as optimize their marketing dollars around where the retailers advertising their products to the customers and the mm-hmm. brands advertising their products relative to where store availability is. So reconciling demand occurring on the brand side with inventory and availability on the retail side. We can impact the way distribution is being done at the retail side. That's something that there's no way a competitor could do unless they're working directly with the retailer, working on this data set together and saying, hey, we're identifying where the highest selfie rate opportunities are for this brand in your stores. Um, and then we're also helping the retailer make more you know, accurate and analytical merchandising decisions by analyzing brands early in their merchandising process with a retailer. Say it's a regional launch with a retailer we're working with. We're collecting all this data and helping them understand where the next expansion opportunities are. And this is all a benefit. This is, you know, everything I just said, they're mutual benefits that increase stores that the products are in. It increases sell-through rate at a store level um, and makes the supply chain more efficient, you know, on both sides. And so that's kind of the primary thing that I think we realized we have carved out a ton of leverage in terms of like a market opportunity and why when we work with brands and we work with retailers, it's a genuine win-win, right? We're not just aggregating random data, we're creating partnerships and we're building upon that existing partnership using data. That's a really interesting point that I've never thought about too in talking with you guys before in the past is that like the way you're setting this up is really smart because you're giving the access to the data to both parties at the same time. There's shared transparency in what's happening exactly with their consumer, even though the interaction is potentially being started on TikTok, goes to the brand's website, and then is fulfilled by the retailer. 
but right. the, by by creating this synergistic relationship with both and involving both parties, even though it's harder for you guys, probably from a sales perspective, a selling process perspective, that enables everyone to be on the same sheet of music the whole time. Is that right? Exactly. It's it, it's about creating a common language, right? And I do think a lot of the times when you look at um, a brand or retail relationship, they do speak different languages when it comes to the data that they're looking at analyzing. Of course, the retailer looking a lot more through a, a, a kind of sales uh, focus lens and the brand looking through, towards a marketing focus lens. I think reconciling that, those two kind of communications creates opportunities for more collaboration and partnership. And what we've seen with the brands that we work with is they're using our data specifically and the retailers at, at the same level to go into shared meetings and have mutual conversations around, we're seeing opportunities where we know we're just going to make money together. And I think that common language, you know, has not really existed thus far. And like Sine said, the biggest opportunity we noticed when we first started working on this problem was the communication kind of stopped after that wholesale deal a lot of the times. And, you know, to us, this is creating a common language that's starting at the unification of marketing, which is what we're doing now, but then steps into merchandising, distribution, and optimization of all sorts of other things in that relationship. Well, Sinead, Nafis really covered like the benefits, I think, there for the retailers and brands that are working on the platform. But will you explain a little bit to or dive a little bit deeper even into what the the end consumer is getting out of this, too, and just how that's simplifying how we're shopping and how we'll continue to shop in the future? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like everything we do, even though we interact day to date with the retailers uh, to collect their data and then with the brands to increase, uh, make, make, sure get them, make sure they get the attribution data and improve the experience with the end consumer, we want to make sure the end consumer is happy, right? And we want to make sure we build a product that fits naturally into the way an end consumer shops. We don't want to force them into a different direction. It's what do they look like? What, what does the future of shopping look like? And that's kind of what we build towards. So when you mention end consumer, really the value proposition for them is basically giving them the optionality to buy in the way they want to buy. So what, what I mean by that, and step one is what we're doing today, right? We are creating this experience on a direct-to-consumer brand's website, where now you not only have the ability to buy directly from the brand um, and just buy directly right then and there if you don't want to do anything else, but let's say you want it faster and more sustainably, then you have the option to get it from a retailer that you now know has a store within a certain vicinity to you with this amount of units of product right then and there. So that's giving them another option to purchase that product. What we look to do down the line is do is basically taking that experience and spreading across any channel in which a consumer buy, whether that's live shopping, whether that's shopping on social media, mm. no matter where they're buying, the consumer should have their preference of getting the product. So our, one of our ultimate use cases, like let's say you're seeing a product while you're going on social media, you like look at the product and you have the option to buy right then and there. Instead of just directing you to the DDC side, like what if it directs you and you can do one click checkout and now it gets delivered same day from the close store that has it in stock. And that's really what we look like, what we look at it from like the end consumer perspective. It's like building towards a fluid concept of like optionality for the consumer because they all have their own preferences and how they buy. And we should make sure we're there for them. That's right. Really cool. and, and allows that allows you to get further up funnel too for the brands to help them show the consumer like here's here are your options. Make mm -hmm. the choices that are best for your convenience, but also for your value set, which again I think is so smart and, and really appealing to this next generation of consumer who is prioritizing that in their decisions. Yeah, the other point I'd make too, Snape, right, is like there's a confidence angle too on the consumer side, mm -hmm. right? Like the fact that you guys are integrating on both sides of the equation with the brands and mm -hmm. the retailers. 
the cons- consumers can shop with more confidence, you know, ultimately, or, the, or maybe even the retailers can have more confidence that their consumer is getting served up the inventory that they actually have available, which probably yeah. is the less canceled orders and things like that. Am I, am I, am I right about assuming yeah. that as well? You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and one of the confidence things that we've seen actually, and this is actually a unique uh, bit of like a case study that we did with one of our brands that uh, sells in Sephora actually. Um, what we saw is when a customer was able to see that they were in a retailer that they knew, right? Like a lot of these DC brands are new to consumers. Right. And, and you're not as familiar Great with that point. Brand. But you are familiar with like, let's say the top 50 retailers in the US. You, you know what that a retailer looks like. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you see that that retailer carries that brand's product, that confidence in that customer results in that brand driving more sales directly through e-com itself. Huge. Because now a customer is like, hey, I don't, I know this brand products isn't a retailer that I trust, but right, I'm already on the DTC website. Let me yeah. just buy it here right now. And maybe yeah. next time I'll go to the retailer. So yeah. that confidence, it's, it's, I mean, it speaks volumes to what you said. It, it creates a trust in, in a product, which is what most yeah. people look for when they're buying a product. It's like, I just want to make sure this is not a product that's being drop ship from a factory that I have no idea. I want to make sure yeah. it's tested. Um, people have done yeah. cases around it and it's actually good for me. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause I mean, Ann and I talk about it all the time. Like, I'm like, I'm like, Ooh, Ann, I saw this cool thing on Instagram. Should I buy it? And I'm like, I don't know where the hell it's coming from. I don't even right. know if it's legit. I mean, and I've been, I've been swindled on stuff like that before. So your point, I'd never even thought about that. Your point of like, Hey, this is immediately validating that this is a good item that other people are carrying and other big brand retailers are carrying on their shelves. Like a Sephora, like you talked about, that's huge. That's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. What other case studies do you guys have in that direction? Like that, that show this, that bear this out or what other uh, uh, client examples can you share with us? Yeah, well, we've seen a lot of really interesting data. I mean, of course, it's really exciting to see e-com lift, right? That's something that a product might necessarily not be built for, but it's a, it's a beautiful you know, outcome of what we're doing. Um, but of course, what we're seeing in general is just really, really huge amounts of retail velocity and retail conversion with our tool. Um, so in general, what we see, what we tend to see uh, at a, on an average rate is on the D2C side, uh, somewhere between 10 to 15% of customers actually engage with our tool. So that's a huge number. You know, when you think about how many people that, you know, fall upon a brand's product page and they're coming from the TikTok and they're coming from just organic search or whatever it is, 10 to 15% being a button that says, you know, I want this near me uh, and I want to find it near me and interacting with that, it showcases huge, immense amounts of local demand for these products. From there, we're seeing about 20% of the customers that then engage from that click actually drive out to the retailer site to go get the product. And so it's a really huge amount of engagement. Um, It's been very exciting for us because our theory has always been that consumers want this product, like Snake said, at every design decision, every kind of fork in the road for design decisions for us, we've always thought from the consumer perspective, first and foremost, and then now seeing them engage so deeply with this product where they want the product near them. They want to drive out and purchase from the retailer they trust. And you know what? It's a huge win-win scenario where the consumers that wanted to buy e-com are buying more on e-com and the consumers that want retail are finding discovery opportunities and purchasing there at huge rates. Um, It's just creating net lift on both sides for these brands. Yeah, Nafis, what do you, you say to some of the retailers who might be listening? Because I think that there's always been these teams that are kind of like, you know, still some retailers are divided between stores teams and e-commerce sure. teams. Like, how are you helping both sides here? Because it really does seem like everybody's winning here, consumer, brand, and retailer. But what? how, how do you kind of answer that question yeah. when it comes up? 
Yeah, when we interact, when we look at our data of sales that we're driving through a retail, uh, you know, because we drive the you know sales out to the retailer's website, and then the consumer has the opportunity to convert in the manner that's most convenient to them. And so we are seeing a strong percentage that are these same day options because consumers want same day fulfillment. And depending on the retailer, maybe they're factoring the e-com sales or store sales. And then we are seeing a strong percentage also drive through standardized e-com sales. And there's a lot of reasoning. There's a rationale that makes sense there. Yeah. A consumer like you and I, we might look at Sephora as an example, and we might you know have loyalty with a beauty insider program at Sephora far more than we would have any individual brand's loyalty. And we want to use those points. We want to use promotional discounts at Sephora's level. And what we've actually seen that's really interesting that the retailers would be interested to know is with every retail we've worked with, when we analyze the data set in terms of average order value we're driving through to the retail website for purchase, our AOV is significantly higher than any other channel that the retailer is seeing. And the reason is it's a very intentional choice by the consumer that I want to go to the retailer's website. I want to buy this product that I discovered on D2C, but I also want to buy the three other products that I really need or want from this retailer. So why don't I make a nice cart together, use a promotional discount and get this checkout. And that's kind of when I, when I think about, you know, teams at the retailer side that are wondering, how do I weigh this as a benefit to my e-com or my store sales? It's absolutely both. We're directing them to the website for them to purchase either, you know, for, you know, to walk in a store and have more upsells occur in the store or get on the, you know, Sephora.com or whatever retailer website and purchase more on the retailer's website as well. Um, so it's definitely a benefit to both. And we're seeing net sales driven on both sides. Well, I, I think that makes so much sense. You're driving you're you know, whether, whether it's this time or next time, like you're giving the consumer all of those options, which in, in essence is, is great for everybody involved in that situation. So, um, the other question that I have though, too, is you are dealing with brands and you're dealing with retailers and integrating all of those things. So what does, um, and Sine, maybe you can take us through this, but like, what does a typical onboarding with retailers and brands look like? And how does Lucky kind of help with all of that mediation? Yeah. And how long does it take too? Yes, like, what right. are we talking about here? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and well, let's start with the retailers because that's that's where we start, right? Initially, okay. uh, we work with the retailers first and then go to the brands afterwards. So on the retailer side, um, we've gone down to a very tight process. So what, what we, the way we work with the retailer is, I mean, we obviously have conversations with them, show them what we're doing. And most retailers are very receptive and they're like, hey, this is amazing. And what they're really shocked about is how simple we make it and how easy we make it on their end. We basically integrate directly into a retailer's inventory management system or order management system. And we collect data feeds, whether that's in, it's an inventory feed, um, in a product feed, in a store uh, location feed. And those are data feeds that they typically already have. And we've built the product in a way where we can ingest in any format, whether it's JSON, an API, or an SFTP feed, whatever it may be. And then we standardize it on our end, and then we share that back to the brand's website. So on the retailer side, I mean, the first retailer we launched with was Sephora, right? In a, in a full launch. That took us about six months to get up and live. The next retailer uh, took us about three months. And the most recent retailer that we just closed took us about one and a half months. So we basically wow. almost like cut it in half in terms of timeline it takes us to launch a retailer just because we've gotten so good at the process now. And we've really, really made it so easy for uh, the retailer to all be onboarded. On the brand side now, it's even easier. So we spent a lot of time building out native apps on the most prominent e-com platforms. So Shopify, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, Magento, and more coming, where now as a brand, it should take you 30 minutes to integrate our app 
select which product SKUs you sell both online and uh, in retail, and that's it. That's all you do on the brand side. Um, and, and then you're live within a day. So we made it super simple and straightforward for both wow. sides. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the big... The big takeaway I would communicate to, you know, uh, especially on the retailer side, because I think brands are a little bit more used to like turnkey integrations. And so when we tell them it's a turnkey integration, they're like, cool. Uh, you know, I've seen that before. For the retailer side, Ralph, is we've figured out systems and we figured out processes where this this could be, you know, potentially no development lift at all on the retailer end. And that's unheard of. And I think that's a big deal for retailers where, you know, tech teams are really busy, dev teams are really busy, and us being able to come in and take all the lift out of the process of our product team, complete the integration solely with a little bit of work on the, you know, data integration side. That's, that's, you know, the really one of the most low lift ways that we've heard retailers get to work with tech partners like ourselves. All right. So let's get you guys both out of here on this. I'm going to be a little more pointed with this to close it out, but, uh, so what's next? Like what other you know, Sephora, good get, great omnichannel retailer, one of our Ann and our yeah. and I's favorites, if not our favorite, quite honestly. They they do a great job of understanding this. What other They're retailers great. are on the roadmap? And then also, I think, you know, maybe Snay, if you want to answer that. And then Nafis, maybe the second question for you is like, how's the product gonna evolve? Are you gonna evolve it in scope or do you think the market's big enough for you to tackle it the way you currently have this thing outlined and planned? So let's let's start there. So Snay, why don't you take the first question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in terms of like what retailers are focused on next, so like we have Sephora, which we mentioned earlier, right? And like that is one of the premier retailers in the beauty category. And we and the way we look at acquiring next retailers, it's there's width and depth. Depth is focusing on retailers in the same category and just owning that market segment. Width is going into uh, retailers in different verticals. So we're doing a little bit in depth in the beauty cosmetics category, right? Sephora is our main one. We're launching with a few more there. We're excited about announcing soon. But what I can talk about is the ones in the on the other new verticals we're focusing on. So the one we're launching in about a week is Nordstrom. So that's nice. amazing because that really gets us open into the apparel category. They obviously have other categories as well, like some beauty cosmetics, um, home goods, but apparel is what they're known for. And we're really excited to tap in there. And then the third retailer that I was mentioning that we're launching within about two to three weeks is Walgreens. And that really gets opened into like CPG and health wellness products. Those everyday products that consumers want. And that and both of those retailers have thousands of brands, which really gives us an opportunity to like, I mean, just between those three major retailers, we have three plus thousand brands that we can go target right now. And in the Walgreens case, thousands of stores. Like, I think that's the really interesting yeah, thing too, really because that lot. changes the dynamic yeah. really quickly when you're talking about same day convenience and, you know, a differentiator for Walgreens to be able to put some of these D2C brands in their stores in, in test locations and know, you know, know all these things. It's really yeah. incredible. Density is always a big thing. And so, I mean, that's the fact that you mentioned like the number of stores is huge. It's like, it's like that's always something we look for. And that's why we start top down, right? We want to focus on the mass market retailers in the beginning. And then we focus on getting all the specialty niche retailers in each category. Um, and, and Walgreens is a great testament to that. The thousands of stores they have across the country and like velocity of which we can move products and proximity to consumers. Got it. I, and I love doing this show. I didn't even, I mean, I knew Sephora. I didn't even know those other ones. That's a hell of a resume right out of the gate here, guys. Those are three Thank really you. incredible retailers. Um, all right. And if he's back to you then, so, so how would you answer that question then pointedly? Like is the, is the product where it needs to be and you're just going to keep grinding it down until you get, you know, as much of the market as you can in the space or how are you thinking about evolving it? No, it's a great question. Honestly, uh, the product, I think, is clearly moving at a really high momentum and velocity right now. That I Seems think our like retail it. partnership traction has is kind of pointing towards that. Um, 
But we absolutely, just like Sinead was saying, like it's same thing from the partnership side, we're looking at the product side. It's, it's, it's a with, you know, um, strategy as well as the depth. So from a depth strategy, it is about acquiring more market share. It's about building relationships with these retailers and just scaling forward what we've been doing with thousands and thousands of great brands. And um, I think ubiquity is our goal in the depth sense. How do we make it so the average consumer starts to prepare or want to see our tool on all the favorite brand websites? But from the depth or the width perspective, I think that what we really want to step into is creating more collaboratory opportunities for brands and retailers to work together, utilizing our data. And I alluded towards a lot of that when we spoke Mm -hmm. or kind of speaking earlier in the conversation, but it really is a huge opportunity for now brands and retailers to kind of look at this shared data set and what we, what we call basically supply and demand, right? Supply is, is what the retailer brings to the table with distribution of this product and demand is what is happening with consumers where they're finding this product through the brand's education, the brand's marketing on social media and things like that. Reconciling that data really allows both sides to work together to market more effectively based off location, to shift the way supply chains are optimized and, and distributions done at the store level based off of where sell-through rates occurring, um, and to make better decisions on merchandising. I mean, when you look at the data, even the best retailer churns out a lot of brands every year. And each churn is a, you know, takes a lot of time and energy and money that we want to help them make more accurate decisions on. We want to help them find more brands that they're going to hit the target dead center from the beginning. Um, and a lot of that is sell to the right customer, sell to the right location at the right time. Um, and so I think that a lot of our future stands in leveraging that data and scaling that forward to create more opportunities, more growth expansion, you know, potential for that brand and retail relationship, and then generating more brand and retail relationships that don't exist now utilizing data. So cool. So super cool. I mean, this is great. I mean, it gives you an idea where you guys can go with this thing too. I mean, the data side of this is really intriguing and that's a whole another angle that we could cover. And maybe we'll have you back on in a few months and we'll talk about that as well as it gets going but uh yeah the retail media to. angles that yeah. are going to come up with yeah. this like i just exactly. oh man yeah it's exactly. yeah, I, have a, I have a feel we'll be talking to you guys a lot Sky's more the limit yeah but uh but uh well the last question then so like if snay if people want to get in touch with you guys learn more you know hey hearing about nordstrom and walgreens and sephora if the retailers are like hey i want to learn more about what this is what's the best way for them to do that yeah, I mean, I think the best way for uh, anyone to reach out after they hear this podcast, and thanks so much, guys, you guys for having us on here, um, just reach out to me directly. That's Snay. Uh, so it's S-N-E-H at luckylabs.io um, or Nafis uh, if it's more product-related. N-A-F-I-S at luckylabs.io. So it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. Great. Just direct email. Well, there you yeah, got. There you have it, Army Talk fans. Go ahead, Nafis. I was going to say, yeah, we're on LinkedIn too, if you guys prefer that, <laughs> but, you know, get, get right in touch and, you know, you'll do it directly with us. We'd happy, we'd love to chat. That's, that's always our favorite drop. That's always our favorite drop. All right, Anne, will you want to sign us off here? Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Once again, that was Sinead Parmar and Nafis Azad of Lucky. Thank you both for sitting down with us today. Congratulations on two new major clients. Um, and until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Omnitalk, be careful out there.